Welcome back to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark, and on this episode, we'll be discussing hours five to ten of the universally popular Doomsday multi-platform Doctor Who event. Joining me on this murderous tra- chase across time and space is the brilliant Bryn. Thanks for coming back to Trap One. Yes, yeah, good to be back. Thanks for inviting me again. Thank you for making the time. Uh, so. The first slice of Doomsday that we're going to talk about is four hours of her final day, which is represented across two volumes of Titan Comics, collectively called Is There a Doctor in the House? Uh, I think these are all written by Jordi Hauser, who wrote the 13th Doctor Titan Comics, and I think the, the Missy, right, yeah, the Missy, the Master Plan kind of short series. Are you, are you quite familiar with Titan Comics, Doctor Who stuff, or...? Yeah, so Titan Comics is one of the areas I've explored less, I'd say, you know, compared to something like Big Finish, but I've definitely, over the last few years, I've picked up a lot of the early volumes of modern series Doctors you can pick up for very cheap now. Like, if you go to Forbidden Planet, you can get an entire collection of ninth or 10th Doctor comics for, like, £3, um, which I've I've been sampling in those. And also, I think I'm, I don't know exactly about other ranges that Jodie has written but I remember that she was involved in the Time Lord Victorious Titan comics which I did read when I was reviewing um, all of Time Lord Victorious for my blog and so I remember that name because when I was reviewing Time Lord Victorious I did do a lot of research into each individual people that were involved and and, like listened to I think there was even a panel at some convention where it was people discussing the Titan comics and specifically that Time Lord Victorious run so I remember um, Jodie House is clearly like a big part of that Titan comic side of Doctor Who world. And at the time, I remember thinking it was interesting how many of the kind of big voices and big names that contribute a lot to Doctor Who comics on the Titan side of things are American, as opposed to most other pieces of Doctor Who media that are, you know might have the odd American involved, but are mostly kind of British um, people big behind them. So, yeah, it was exciting to get these issues and read some some new Titan comics, yeah. Yeah, Titan is weird like that, isn't it? I say it's, it's predominantly published in America, I think, for the American market. They're not that easy to get hold of here. You have to go to a specialist comic shop or Forbidden Planet. I've built up a Titan collection when Forbidden Planet have these sales because you can get the really nice hardback editions which collect, um, I think, three or four issues together for like three to five pounds when they have a really good sale. So, yeah, I've got quite a lot of the hardback ones now that you know, I've paid a fraction of the, the original price for, and they do make quite a nice collection. Um, and one of yeah. the ones I got, I think last year, was this uh, Missy. Uh, so I got like the trade paperback of that. I don't think they did a hardback one of it. Uh, so this was written by Geordie Hauser, and it's called Missy, The Master Plan. And if you've read that, but it's, uh, it's about an adventure that Missy has where she breaks the Delgado Master out of Storm Cage by pretending to be the doctor to both the prison administrator and to the Delgado master um, to, to take him on a mission. So, yeah, it's quite a fun story. And this this story, Is There a Doctor in the House? Uh, one of them is a kind of sequel to that as well, sort of very broadly. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to hear because I I'd, um, obviously picked up on the references to the Delgado master and Missy having broken up breaking him out of prison previously when I was reading this um, comic, but I had no idea it was tied into that comic series, the, the Missy one. And I do think it's it's really nice that Titan do those kind of tight four-issue runs. Like, I, I haven't read the Missy one yet, but I have read their um, Fugitive Doctor run, 
um, that they did, which was a very similar, I think, you know, released as a, a trade paperback rather than a, a hardback as a collected one, which I actually got um, my girlfriend for her birthday because Fugitive Doctor's her favourite doctor and obviously there's not a lot of content to go around yet. So, and that's a that's a good read. And I think, again, you know, this is, this is only two issues, um, this run for Doomsday, but again, there's a nice kind of feeling of self-containment that, um, mm-hmm. You know, not all Doctor Who expanded universe media always has, but at the same time, the fact that I was able, it obviously does have that callback, as you've just explained, to the Missy comics. It's quite nice in the way that I read it and just assumed that was a reference to an, a story that hadn't been depicted and found it amusing but unintrusive. You know, I think that's a pretty good way to have that reference, but it actually does tie the two things together, but without kind of, you know, throwing the reader or needing kind of any prior knowledge to understand it. Yeah, and I suppose this is the idea of getting all the different license holders involved in something like this, isn't it? It's an opportunity for them to showcase and, um, I guess, perspective new readers to to point them in the direction of, of other stories that they, they might enjoy. Yeah, and this absolutely, like, this run feels like a good advert for Missy as a character, you know, as much as it is Doom's story. I think Missy gets, you know, almost as much focus as as Doom. And so, yeah, if you're someone who reads it and thinks, oh, I want to read more comics with Missy, and it's quite nice for Titan, that they can say, well, here you go. Yeah, she's really well drawn here, I think, as well. Um, they really get the 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 humour of the performance and the unpredictability of, of Missy as a character. I suppose where it's different is it's unusual to see Missy on the back foot so much as she is here with where because Doom's the main character and Doom does manage to outwit Missy quite a few times and stay one step ahead of her. So that was quite that was quite fun, I thought. Yeah, it, it does really feel like Missy has kind of become like the breakaway character of kind of, you know, the Capaldi of Doctor Who that really can, you know, fit into a lot of stories because she has access to time travel and can you know be in the stories as a full-on antagonist or as kind of like a half you know a, someone who's trying to do the right thing to appease the doctor depending on what point in her timeline she's in and that's the fact that she's that kind of flexible malleable character has kind of allowed her to fit into so many stories it feels like the expanded universe has really latched onto her, both with comics and then she's in you know, so many audio dramas, both her own range, but also, you know, she's just appeared in the last episode of um, Once and Future, the Big Finish Anniversary thing. And, um, yeah, it's almost, I, I did have um, one friend who was joking about how Missy is kind of becoming the um, the David Tennant of Masters in terms of <laughs> showing off all over the expanded universe all the time. And it's, it's clear that both comes from, you know, Michelle Gomez's affection for the character being willing to constantly do big finish stuff, but also, as with this comic, just, you know, that she's a character that can fit really well into stories and that people, I think people have a good hold on her, like, in terms of how to write her, like, she comes across very well in the dialogue in this comic, and I think it's in, there's obviously something quite um, core to the character that's easy to kind of latch onto and then write, and it's impressive how people manage to do that and really give us that good characterization. Yeah, it, it's brilliant, like you say, that she's carried on doing Big Finish because she's made it in America a little bit, um, it seems, since she was in Doctor Who. Cause she's in, I haven't seen it, but I believe she's in the like the new version of Sabrina. Yeah, yeah, she's like a, a very central character, effectively like the central 
antagonist. I only watched the first sort of half series, but I know she was in like every episode of that and that went on for three series. And obviously that is the advantage of the way Big Finish do things now. I know for quite a while she was recording most of her Big Finish from a studio in Vancouver. Um, yeah. And that was while she was still on Sabrina, because I think that's where uh, that filmed. And then also... Um, some of the more recent stuff that she was, some of the stuff that's coming out now, three years later, is stuff that she recorded in the summer of 2020, as you know, when David Tennant also did a lot of recordings during that first yeah. lockdown. I think that was all recorded in New York, and it's really impressive how Big Finish has kind of come on to a point where they can record these things in that way now, and it's just not noticeable when you listen to it. Um, so, yeah, that really gives an advantage, and it's nice that Michelle is willing to set aside that time. And it's good that they have a system in place that makes it convenient for her to be able to do that without having to travel halfway across the world. Yeah, there can't be that many parts that are that much fun to play as well. Um, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. And and she, so she's in all four stories that comprise hours five to nine here. Uh, obviously, this is this comes right after the the four hours that Doctor Who magazine comic strips covered. It's kind of a shame in a way because it really shows up the limitations of the Doctor Who magazine one, which, you know, not to kind of criticise them or anything. We said that, you know, they've got a budget and space and everything, but there's so much more pages and room for the stories to to grow in the Titan ones. Uh, I think when we talked last time about the Doctor Who magazine ones, you know, one of the stories only took like one page, didn't it? I think um, the one that had River Song in it. Whereas these are kind of much more satisfying, they're deeper, there's there's much more going on. So yeah, I guess I guess kind of well, one, it's a shame that they're back to back. And the other thing is that, you know, maybe Doctor Who magazine should just kind of maybe had one or two hours, I suppose, and then they could have they could have put more into the the, the one or two hours if, if it had worked like that. Yeah, I think I think having them sequential, as you say, kind of really does show up for Doctor Who magazine comics and you know, it's it's kind of, I think Doctor Who magazine did get stuck in a, a, a difficult situation with it, whereas, you know, because if, if it hadn't been for the fact that they've got this long run, uninterrupted 14th Doctor comic going on, they could have done the same thing they did for their Time Lord Victoria's comics, which was, you know, have one comic that's actually as a separate, you know, mm. thing that comes in like a polybag and have the, it, the rest of it just be, but obviously they've only got so much, you know, budget and space for producing comics and so that means we had to all be done in a single issue and yeah possibly the way to go to that would have been to reduce it to one or two hours um and allow someone else to kind of pick up the because really all you know that's meant to depict four hours and on its own it reads quicker than either of these individual comics which are only depicting two hours each i mean and they're still not you know it's not a massive read or anything you know i think both of these comics can be read in about 10 minutes each Mm-hmm. But that just it just gives it so much more breathing room than the Doctor Who magazines once had, and it, I think especially the allowance for more kind of dialogue, you know, um, really helps. There's parts of Doomsday that have very little um, parts of a DWM Doomsday comic that have very little dialogue because it's trying to tell the story as quickly as possible, and that is, you know, it makes sense in terms of using comics as a visual medium, but also you've got these characters. Especially with Doom, we're still trying to, you know, she is quite an engaging character, Doom, but we are still getting to know her. So I think having that sense of voice that comes across more in this comic really helps. And then also, obviously, when you've got Missy, who has such a distinctive voice already, getting to hear 
not hear, but getting to read all this dialogue. And to be fair, I think there is an element of like, you can hear Michelle Gomez's voice in this dialogue and having such a strongly drawn character really helps with that. So it's, yeah, these comics do things that for practical reasons that Doctor Who magazine ones couldn't, but it certainly makes them a lot more accessible and I think a lot easier to recommend if people are willing are wanting to get into the comic book side of Doomsday. Yeah, definitely. Um, and because the audio side of Doom, we is set after this. Although we, we've had the the BBC audio one, so you get a sense of Doom's voice from that. But I suppose the little trailers that keep dropping, don't where she, you get the little um, kind of almost to camera things where she has a little um, hologram thing and she gets to know what her next mission is and she sort of sets that up. So yeah, yeah, you've got an, an idea of of what Doom sounds like. And if you're familiar with Suze Kempner's work on Twitter as well. Yeah. And and for me, of the sort of Doomsday content that I've um, read, listened to, watched so far, I think this these comics are the ones where Doom feels like the most clear, like I have a clear sense of what her character is. And I also, I like the fact that it allows for her, us to see her doing her, her day job of being an assassin in actually quite a, a, a brutal way. Whereas like, I feel like a lot of the other stories are kind of coming up with these workarounds, you know, like this bit in the Doctor Magazine comic where she has to kill the idea of um, a unicorn. And it's like, um, that's a nice, as like a, you know, one of things quite a, like an interesting idea and give some variety. But I think cause we were starting with those ones and like, there's like the like mercy killing of the person who's been turned into Simon and stuff. Whereas, here it's like she kills quite a few people in these yeah. comics like but pretty clearly set out but as if not necessarily innocent people people who are just you know people who are sympathetic in some way um and she she i mean the methods of killing it's like she slices someone with her her, her um masked ball mask mm. and she she shoots someone with a laser she chops someone in half with a, a prison laser door closing and poison someone's tea like it's all very it's kind of the sort of things you can imagine missy doing in a story where she was slightly more off the hook so it's quite interesting to have missy trying to hold up a sort of moral thing in the way that she had to when she was trying to reform herself in series 10 and then in contrast you've got a character who is the protagonist and who we're kind of supposed to be i think more sympathetic to than missy throughout the stories as a whole but who is quite quite brutal in doing these these things. Yeah, I completely agree. I had that in my notes as well, that it shows you more, doesn't it? It's more visceral. Like, say, well, when the, the character gets chopped in half by the kind of laser door, you see it in silhouette, but, like, the, um, the sound effect says squelch, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is great, yeah. But you see, like you say, the... Um, the mask from the mask ball, it's like like the batarang or something, isn't it? So she sort of flicks it at them and it, it she sort of slices them open. So yeah, that's that's really cool. I noticed as well they they jettisoned the the imagery from the Doctor Who magazine comics of death actually stalking Doom. Mm. So you kept getting that skull or that kind of Grim Reaper type figure in the Doctor Who magazine one, which I kind of thought was going to be a motif going through all of it, but doesn't he- appear here at all. So just kind of an artistic choice from them. I yeah. Think. And it's not really something that's come up in any of the other stories. Yeah, Cause it was unclear whether death was kind of like a tangible force or exactly what was going on with that from the initial stories. And then it seems to be that everything since the DDM comic has kind of leaned t- towards 
no, she's going to die in 24 hours, but it's not, it's not something physically pursuing her in that way. It's like, it's just like a kind of ticking clock. Um, again, like I've not, I've not read all the other stories, um, but I have been listening to, um, another podcast, um, cruising through doomsday where they've been going through and talking about the stories. So, um, I've heard them talk about the book on there and found that quite interesting. And, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to the big finish stuff and seeing, I'm kind of just interested to see at this point how it resolves, because again, you know, the stories, um, find ways to be funny in their own rights, but don't necessarily push the narrative forward beyond any kind of that episodic thing. But yeah, it would be interesting to see how that pays off and what exactly death takes. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting point to point out that that stylistic feature from Doctor Who magazine just does not appear here at all. These are kind of stories where you could almost forget that she's kind of on that ticking clock. Like it feels like a ticking clock for each individual hour. It's her, oh, I've got to move mm-hmm. on to the next mission in an hour's time. But there's very little reference to the fact that she's actually only got so many hours before she's going to die herself. It's interesting how it mirrors once and future like that, isn't it? That it's it's sort of a lot of fun individual stories that don't really progress that central kind of inciting thing that happens in the first part. So with Doom, we know that she's she tried to kill somebody. We don't know who. A in an incarnation of the Doctor, who I think we know is an old man, which obviously kind of narrows it down a little bit, tried to warn her. She didn't listen, and now she's got this 24 hours. So we don't quite know what's going to kill her or anything like that. And none of these stories really give you any more information. And once and future is a bit like that, isn't it? The they kind of the doctor is thrown into a new situation, is mashed up with various aliens and allies and other and then you, you don't find out much more about the degeneration weapon or who's behind it or anything. I haven't listened to the most recent one yet, I admit, yeah. but it doesn't seem like that's the way it's going. That is definitely a thing with the formula of once and future, but it did feel like it was treading water and using the situation as a device to set up these stories with different doctors and characters, combinations, and it's only maybe just now as it's, I think it's the most recent episode out five or six, but it's, it seems to be at the point just now, um, without spoiling a few if you haven't listened to it yet, but it is actually starting to go, okay, here's where the story's going a bit more. And it's, it's nice to see it get there. And I guess at some point that will happen with Doomsday as well, whether yeah. it's nearer to the end or what. And um, But even then, um, I think, yeah, I think the only basic, the only actual piece of information that's been revealed that seems to have told us more about of the plot of Doomsday's going forward is in the novel. I know I won't say what the revelation, like what the reveal, who it is here, but basically there is a revelation about which incarnation of the Doctor it is that was referred to in that first short story. Right. And um, yeah, like obviously that's a topic for, you know, a discussion on the, the novel, but that is kind of, that's literally the first piece of information, extra piece of information about the context we've been given that wasn't right there in that first story. Um, and so it's interesting that that's been left to that point to reveal and even then isn't made that big a deal of when it is revealed. So I don't know if that's a case of it was something that was in like the notes for all of the different licensees had and it was just in the novel they happened to choose to reference it and the others have just gotten on with their own stories or quite how that happened. Because I am, 
I am always interested in kind of the organizational side of all this and the, what level of communication there has or hasn't been between different people involved. Um, but yeah, on that side of things, it's interesting to see how the story kind of almost can't go anywhere other than treading water in terms of the overall story because of the fact that they've got this, you know, probably when the stories were being written, they may not have even known what order they would be in exactly and things like yeah. that and how they were commissioned, but it's interesting. And I suppose once in future, similar similar sort of thing. Like they're both almost sort of showcases, aren't they, mm-hmm. for Doctor Who and the expanded universe, you know, because with Big Finish, it's all the spin-offs that that they showcase um, like the Paternoster gang and unit and Missy and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, with, with doomsday, it's all the different kind of um, license holders and stuff. So yeah, neither of them are very kind of arc heavy. It's all like, look, this is this character or this monster or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting as like a counterpoint to time Lord victorious, which had that same thing of multiple different licenses and at the time, I think even still had people complaining of like, oh, this particular release doesn't push the story forward or anything. But actually, it was a lot more arc heavy than this Doomsday. And in some way, that was off putting because it meant, you know, confusion if you were reading one bit without the others. But it's interesting how this does feel like a reaction to that. And whether it's an overcorrection or whether it's kind of just done because of the necessity of what it's done. But it's, it's, it's kind of, it is nice that the different mediums can have their own enclosed stories and I guess to an extent that is also what the Time Lord Victoria stuff did where you know the novels kind of told one story across two and the big finish told one story across three and then obviously had some extra bits yeah. as well but yeah it's interesting to see the different approaches because there are such kind of vast differences between Doomsday and Time Lord Victorious like they obviously come from the same basic idea um, but take such wildly different approaches but it is quite interesting to see them in comparison to each other. I thought it was interesting that the repetition that we're getting already in Doomsday. So they hang a lantern on it here, but the first story uh, of these four it sees Doom arrive at a masked ball and she goes, oh yeah, this is a bit like in New Venice, which was mm. what's everything up when she was at a masked ball. And then the second story, she's in Stormcage, which is, and she says, oh, it's going to be a rerun because she was in Stormcage in one of the Doctor Who magazine stories yes. as well. So, um, again, that's something that speaks of different writers, uh, maybe not communicating that much, but, you know, of the whole Doctor Who universe and places, uh, <laughs> visit, particularly gone Stormcage twice. Yeah. It uh, does, does seem a bit unusual. Yeah, those lines of dialogue definitely feel like things that are put in you know, retrospectively, once they've realised this connection, how we should acknowledge it, but presumably, you know, not any planned thing. They were just meant to, they just happened to fall on using the same locations. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because, yeah, the first story is in, as you say, this mass ball environment, but obviously this one is actually a historical setting rather than kind of like a the new Venice in like doing faux historical or historical imitation of what a mass ball would be like. Um, and yeah, that's um, an interesting story. And again, the, the sort of targets of Doom in that story are, are dispatched, you know, very quickly. And um, other than a sort of pun about cat burglars, um, I'm given yeah. too much um, fo- focus, but it's it's obviously there to set up the um, sort of object that becomes 
um, a running thread throughout the future stories, this um, sort of potential weapon that takes the form of a, a jewel. Yeah, the perpetual topaz kind of a, a MacGuffin in this, isn't it? So the mm. you've got the the cat kind uh, from like New Earth and Gridlock, who are like you say cat burglars trying to steal a perpetual topaz. It seems like it's been hidden on Earth, but we don't find out by who. But I guess that could tie into another Titan comic. I did wonder about that by the way that it was already kind of set up like that. Doom takes it, and and this sort of sets up Missy trying to get it. But I think early on, particularly, it's ambiguous whether Missy wants this because it's a weapon. But as as time goes on, you kind of realise that this is the sort of series ten phase of Missy when she's being re- rehabilitated by the twelfth Doctor. So she's doing all like she's in World Enough and Time, where she's introducing herself as Doctor Who but also kind of taking the piss out of the Doctor at the same time. I love some of the stuff about, um, she talks about her, her costume, and she says it's uh, was it a mixture of whimsy and justice, uh, <laughs> yeah. like any good who. And, and, and yeah, there's constant kind of snipes at the Doctor while pretending to be him, which is yeah. uh, which is really funny. Yeah, I really enjoyed her, her retort to Doom of, I'm the most Doctor to ever who, um, yeah. is very um, good. And yeah, I, I definitely think my realization that it was this version of missy like just before world enough and time where she is sort of imitating the doctor and if not directly under the doctor's supervision and sort of doing things um and reporting back to the doctor about them afterwards definitely kind of recontextualized my understanding of the story so on my on my second read through i think i understood what you know missy's character a bit a bit better and what her role was in the story because yeah it it, at this first, it's like, is she just being with scene, just happening to impersonate the Doctor? And um, she then, you know, is trying to get this for her own means. And although there's definitely, like, hints of what she could actually do with the weapon or, you know, she's sort of playing with dan- danger with it. You know, she, in the story, she, you know, she doesn't kill anyone, which, you know, she doesn't have to because Doom's there. But, um, you know, she is trying to do this in a way where she's clearly still... There's a, a good bit, um, just to skip ahead slightly, but in the, the final sort of part of it, where Doom almost challenges her to find a, a non-lethal, non-violent solution to the problem that's happening in that final location. And there's just like an entire page of her kind of thinking to herself, going like, well, I could try this, but oh, there's still blood. And then like, well, is it still technically violence if I get him to do it to himself? And it's like her <laughs> trying to figure this out and trying to be moral but in a very way where it's very clear that her head's way of thinking is still very not moral yeah it's i love the way that that she's drawn here and does she have a, a sonic fork it's not it's never sort of named or drawn attention to but in some shots she's got this kind of fork through um like at, at a kind of brooch thing um at a collar and then she does seem to be sort of scanning things with what looks like a fork and I, I tried. I had a quick flick through the Missy um, graphic novel, and I couldn't see that it's it's um, it's in there. So yeah, it just kind of seemed like quite a weird detail. <laughs> yeah, I do remember noticing the fork, and I think I just my brain just completely skipped past that. So yeah, that is yeah. an interesting <laughs> detail. Um, see, I didn't really like. There's a. I mean, I like that it was in there. There's a brief cameo of the Delgado Master watching TV in his cell, which is like a riff 
on the scene from the Sea Devils where he's watching the Clangers. And and in this, he's like not understanding a Roadrunner cartoon and kind of uh, angrily speaking to the screen about like how stupid the uh, Wiley Coyote is. But it seems like I, well, I always thought in the Sea Devils that when the governor comes in and explains to him it's a kid's cartoon and he sort of goes, all oh, right, like he's being sarcastic, like, like obviously he knows that they're puppets. <laughs> Um, whereas this seems to read it as the ma- that master is stupid enough to not know that cartoons and puppets um, for kids are real. So kind of didn't like that because the, the missy sort of goes past and goes, oh, you're a, a witless child or something like that. I must admit, when I, when I first read about Padma, I didn't actually immediately realise it was Delgado. Just, you know, it's, it's not a bad likeness, but I wasn't ex- thinking about it or expecting it. And I think also... It's not. It doesn't really sound like his voice. Like so, yes, yeah. it's it's definitely realistic for him to be watching sort of children's television. Um, I think like it's, it's obviously something that's referenced in the Sound of Drums as well, where he's watching Teletubbies. But um, mm. it's yeah, the, the way that he's talking to the screen feels quite. I don't know if it's just how kind of wordy or how m- modern written it. You know, it's kind of overstated for joke maybe. And that was why it didn't really read in voice. And it was only, it was actually later when there's a bit where the prison guard that Doom and Missy speak to, you see like um, two pictures on like monitors. And it was from that angle where I was like, oh, that's meant to be Delgado, isn't it? Because the likeness was clearer. Um, yeah. But, and that made me then realize what that previous joke was doing. But yeah, I think I kind of agree with you where I think the joke may, doesn't really work, maybe because it's a bit overwritten. And as you say, because it's, like he, the master probably actually is aware of this, especially if there's a difference between even puppets that have at least been shot with a camera and a cartoon that's obviously yeah. a drawing. <laughs> like, because to be fair, there's plenty of aliens in the world of Doctor Who that do actually look a bit like puppets because of yeah. the fact that they're <laughs> constructed by humans in, in real life. Um, but yeah, he, I think he should be able to tell that a cartoon is a cartoon, I think. Yeah, that was just, yeah, just kind of a slight moment that yeah i didn't i didn't really yeah it's the way he's talking about it uh, you know it's when it's obviously a cartoon and he's talking about how it doesn't apply to real world world physics it's, it almost feels like he's doing like a cinema sins like on the yeah. car- cartoon <laughs> thing which is yes yeah, a straight it's a strange characterization choice but as, as it is basically like a single panel joke and there are, there are a lot of jokes i think in this that do land especially with missy so that just feels like for one that slightly strange choice yeah and it is yeah like you say it's just kind of a like a, a fun cameo kind of thing and it and it ties into the master plan previous missy comic as well so yeah doom doom finds that there is a, a prisoner who is also one of her targets sort of further down the list but she decides to kill him while she's there and he inadvertently gives the name of who the prisoner broker is who's the person who is charging to hire out prisoners um, I guess assassins and stuff as well. Uh, so there's a bird alien called Jaxo, who she kills as well. And then Missy says, "Murder most foul," which uh, again is kind of quite a, a, a yeah, joke. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I think the sense of of humour throughout and those kind of little jokes do work really well. And especially, I think it's, the character of Missy gives you such a license to make those kind of jokes. Whereas then, you know, there's a there's a few like bits of dialogue with the the prison guard which maybe don't land as quite as well some of the jokes is a bit mm. where someone says i think missy says like bob's your uncle 
and there's a prison guard's like well Bob's my aunt actually it's like I, I don't even know what that joke's it's obviously meant yeah. to be a joke but I'm not sure what the punchline is there um but um and there's it's in, interesting about prison guard because there's obviously very little characterization because he is just kind of like a stock character but they're obviously trying to kind of I suppose to maintain the tone of the story which is quite light they've got you know it's the way he phrases certain things is a bit where he talks about um he's reporting to missy what duma said and he's, he's like someone's trying to do a capitalism with the prisoners which yeah. is like <laughs> an interesting bit of phrasing that sounds um i don't know if it's meant to make him sound more alien but it's kind of where it kind of sounds more almost like kind of like you know young people today how they speak and i guess maybe that is kind of the titan comic being infused with that energy a bit more because of the different you know american and younger writers as opposed to you know some of the um, older generation of writers who work on you know big finish in the novels but it's it's an interesting um interesting choices in the dialogue there yeah he's um administrator sire i guess you pronounce it c-i-r-e he's a character from from the master plan right. as well yeah uh, when that story opens he's getting a video call from the third doctor saying oh you know you've got you've got the master you have to be really really careful with him um, I'm exiled to Earth, so I can't kind of come and check on the security arrangement sort of thing or help, but just kind of keep him locked up. And then when the call ends, Missy arrives and says, oh, that's me from thousands of years ago. I'm uh, I'm the current doctor. I'm going to help you out sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe that is just the, the reason why he's characterized like that to kind of almost, you know, it, it does seem like he's potentially a little bit incompetent. Um, and so I guess having that kind of characterization and that humor kind of lets you get away with that a bit more and establishes him as maybe not the best at his job. So yeah, but that is yeah. interesting again, that he is effectively like a crossover character from another Titan comics range. Cause yeah, I, I didn't realize that at all. And it does, it does obviously add something to the story. Yeah. And a little bit of continuity there is that he, he thinks Missy, he still thinks Missy is the doctor from the, from the previous story as well. So I kind of, I guess there's less set up there um in terms of uh, missy having to establish that because she goes through the whole all four of these stories trying to convince everybody that she's the doctor but doom does not buy it at all at any point uh, <laughs> the third mission then finds missy following doom to an uh, sort of alien convention about old earth culture but they, it's like so long ago they get a lot of the details wrong. So I think the photos are called Pictos and they call it the Victorian era. So this reminded me a bit of the book The Coming of the Terrophiles, which is an 11th Doctor novel, which is a few years since I read it, but I think that's got a similar sort of idea where it's either aliens or people in the future who are trying to recreate sort of old Earth culture and, and getting bits and pieces of it wrong. Yeah, it even kind of put me in mind of, you know, the current run of 14th Doctor Comics in DWM, which has, um, you know, starts with this, like, alien recreation of um, the 1960s, and there's, like, other, you know, time yeah. periods that we go into and stuff, and it's, like, the idea of, you know, future civilizations that are interested in the history of um, Earth and, you know, want to experience in that some way. Obviously, this is the kind of... Um, the low sci the low tech, low sci-fi version of experiencing those cultures and in some ways are more realistic, you know, but it would just be a group of people in, you know, a big um rented out hall somewhere, you know, sort of half pretending, half kind of 
you know, cosplaying. I think the word cosplay gets used yeah. in there. And it's obviously nice because, you know, for the Doctor Who fan community, conventions can be a big a big part of their experience as well. So there's obviously similarities um, in that that we can see by having it um, presented in this way of aliens doing a convention for old, old Earth. Yeah, and, and kind of correcting each other as well over, <laughs> over stuff, yeah. Um, so the, uh, although Doom is dismissive of Missy, uh, or the suggestion that Missy is the Doctor, she sort of suggests that they work together here. She says, work together for the greater good, and Missy repeats, the greater good, which I thought might be an in-joke about the hot, about hot fuzz. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, That's a bit in hot fuzz where they go the greater good, and then all the other kind of members of that kind of cabal go, the yeah. greater good. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even catch that, but that, yeah, I mean, that definitely could be. It feels like that sort of, when it's, you know, a sort of popular film that people reference quite 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 regular casually but if, if, if it is that's quite subtle i quite like that but yeah i think totally yeah. that could be a thing uh and in this one it's it's that there's uh somebody who wants to destroy it's like a religious cult isn't it and they want to destroy books because they want to sort of destroy the past to free the future which it's it doesn't really go into a lot of um <laughs> depth about how that would work especially because in the future you think probably there's not just physical books that yeah. are records. Some digital there. records, maybe, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, it's kind of, I think, like the cat burglars in, in the first part, you know, they're kind of there to, you know, just be something for the characters to foil. But it's actually, it's the setting, I think, that gets more focus in a lot of these, you know. Like, um, Stormcage is more interesting as a setting than the particular dynamics of this prison broker and mm. certainly this old Earth convention is. And I do wonder if it's a case of, writers thinking of a setting and thinking okay what kind of person could doom be trying to assassinate in this setting you know what kind of plot could be going on that she could become involved in and follow i think that's um you know it's not an unreasonable approach especially when you've got you know obviously not as much as the ddm but still quite short stories really but you want to move on from quite quickly and yeah having like missy through all the stories as well just give that continuity that the digital comics have where really it is one story it just happens to kind of change setting everything's and i think this this balances that really well between the like having the differences between each hour but actually really telling like a single story over two issues rather than kind of four stories and that's kind of why a lot of the characters end up being quite broadly drawn particularly the sort of antagonists of each individual bit yeah and, and this is another example where Doom gets one over on Missy, which again, I suppose you know you want to you want Doom to be the uh, I suppose the the most exciting character, and but yeah, it's, it does feel like yeah, not many people can um, fool Missy like that or pull the wool over her eyes. But yeah, she Doom says, "Oh, there's uh, one of the books here is really powerful." So she got kind of Missy looking through all these books while she deals with the person that wants to to buy them to destroy them. Uh, and then she teleports away, and we 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 know that Missy's following Doom from location to location, but we don't see how until kind of the end of the final story, do we? When she's back in the Twelfth Doctor's TARDIS, and she's she's telling the Doctor what uh, what's been happening, that the perpetual Torpes isn't a threat anymore, and just kind of mentions that that oh, this assassin, this really annoying assassin, is looking for you. And thinks that she knows you, but you don't really get the doctor. She's drinking a cup of tea, so you don't really get his reaction. 
So that was interesting because the Twelfth Doctor obviously would fit the bill of an older man incarnation that could be uh, that could be the one that that she's actually looking for. Obviously, yeah. uh, I haven't read the book yet, so I'll find, I'll find <laughs> out. But it's kind of yeah. speculating at this stage. But yeah, I mean, it's, and it's it's quite a short um, section that bit, and it's like obviously it is just a coda, and you don't want it to be, you know, pages and pages when it's it is just that. But it would have been nice to maybe have a, a little bit more of that and have a bit more of the Twelve Doctors um, reaction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, given that Twelve and Missy's dynamic is so interesting, you know, it's always nice to get more of it. And it was a nice little cameo here that you know even though he's not necessarily met doom of this story that he still gets to be a little part of um the doomsday um story and um yeah um it is interesting how that ties up but it also makes it like a hundred percent concrete clear where missy is in her timeline which obviously for you know people updating tardis wiki or whatever is quite helpful to have i'm sure (laughs) um rather than having to debate over it but yeah and it shows the ruthlessness of Doom in this story as well. Like, like you said before, she when she challenges Missy to come up with a solution, they've got this guy, he's a sort of three-eyed alien who is the sole survivor of his race. And Doom, first of all, challenges Missy to say, well, you know, what, what do you think is going on here? And she immediately kind of clocks it because this guy is the last survivor of a war or something that he wants to wreak revenge and he's going to send all these kind of drones out that are powered by the perpetual Torpes and, and wreak devastation. She guesses that, but then, yeah, when she tries to come up, like you say, with a non-violent solution, she draws a blank. But just as she's coming to the end of that, the guy dies and Doom says, yeah, I already poisoned his tea sort of thing. So it's that, that ruthlessness, which I think uh, some of the, I mean, just a lot of Doctor Who Twitter is relentlessly negative, uh, especially about things that haven't even been released yet. But I know they, they were kind of saying, oh, well, you know, I don't really buy this character as the world's greatest assassin. But I, I do think these stories redress that. Like we say, there's some really brutal kills in there. And then just sitting drinking the tea with the guy, knowing he's he's poisoned, uh, and just watching him die and say, oh, yeah, you know, I kind of already uh, already took care of it sort of thing. It, it, does, it does show her killer instinct i think yeah and i think there is a suggestion i can't remember if it's in the original short story or something but for the reason you know she is actually quite a good assassin is because she is like sociable and can like you know so the fact that we see here you know how she can actually get you know could get close to her targets like this person that she you know sits and drinks tea with and you know that she's not stressed or anxious about the fact that she's just poisoning she's not doesn't let it get to her just has kind of maybe not a normal conversation, but like a relaxed conversation. Mm. That is what makes her so good at her job. And that kind of is the counter argument to, like you say, that kind of initial um, response on some of the social media where people were like, oh, how could a character who's this kind of sort of cartoonish and coming across quite, you know, friendly and cheery actually be a, a brutal assassin, but like actually kind of when her character's written at her best, I think that is, they, they make those two things work together in quite an interesting way, but like actually the reason she's good at her job is because she's approachable and, and sociable and people yeah. kind of don't suspect her. Um, and, yeah, I think th- this comic is kind of a one, this last, sorry, the, the, the last section of the second comic, that, that half, is um, is really um, strong for me, I think. It's the one that I really like, um, maybe the most kind of out of the four hours we get in these two comics and um, I was I was surprised by that because I wasn't you know I didn't know what to expect from it, but it's 
again, I think just it gets the most focus because it is it is mostly just these three characters talking. Um, and um, it's, yeah, it's a nice kind of end to that story. And obviously because the, um, uh, I've already forgotten the name of it again, but the, the weapon the, um, they have been kind of pursuing throughout the story has been um, destroyed, you know, just, just disposed of that, just kind of put an end to it, which explains why, Missy doesn't just keep following Doom through, you know, several more hours and different stories. So, yeah. Yeah, because she's been trying to take the weapon out of circulation. It's not that she wants it for herself, where if she was the kind of the evil master, Mm -hmm. she'd be wanting to get the weapon. And I guess if Doom thwarted like that, she'd go after her for revenge. But, yeah, because she's working for the Doctor, the perpetual topaz is no longer a threat. So it's just kind of right, well, that's eliminated go back to the doctor and report back sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think these were these were really four really strong entries in uh, in in Doomsday. Um I say I think, you know, by by the nature and the format worked a lot better than than the Doctor Who magazine comic strips. 15 hours and wait. Is that a robot dog? <laughs> The next uh, chapter, uh, hour 10, is is probably about the least or one of the least accessible ones because this is part of the the Doctor Who mobile game, Lost in Time, it's called, isn't it? I just realized I haven't made a note of that. This is Lost in Time where they did a special event. That you, I think it was like three days play, was it? Yeah, it might, might have been four. I'm not sure, but... I... Well, as soon as I found out about it, I started playing and I was pretty kind of, um, I thought being pretty kind of assiduous with it. So where you have to watch adverts to double the mm. the production, well, I'd probably say a little bit about how the game works. I'm not really a gamer at all, but this is, um, was it called an idle game? Is that the word? Yeah, yeah. So when you're not playing, you, you, you set up these little kind of um, production centers that produce things <laughs> yes and uh the more you power it up the more it produces and when you come back it'll say oh you've, you've made this many but if you watch this advert you can double that so every time i log back in i'd always watch the advert and double it and then you can watch adverts that sort of doubles or quadruples production for up to four hours at a time so i kept doing that and getting it up all the way to sort of or two hours anyway whatever making it up to eight or 16 hours every time I was watching adverts to get extra points and things. And I got, well, I, th- I thought I must be quite a long way through the story. And then I didn't get, I didn't finish it, but I found where somebody on YouTube has, has sliced together all of the, all of the elements of the, of the actual story in between the gameplay. And I realized I wasn't even halfway through it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did play this one as well. And I think I got to a similar point to you. Admittedly, that was, without using the multipliers like i i previously used the app and, and would watch the adverts and and get those multipliers and get the extra like currency and stuff and then i reinstalled it because i wanted to try out this um you know get onto the doomsday event and things and but i was just like i'm not gonna use the i'm not gonna watch the adverts i'm just gonna um play it and yeah, i think i got a similar point to you but i think that is actually it's one of the things with the game is like it's so um 
the sort of exponentials going on with the numbers are so great that actually just multiplying by two or even by four doesn't make that much difference if you're not getting like the actual upgrades that require the currency and that's a lot harder to obtain than just those like initial points i think it's vortex energy or whatever so it, it really difficult to kind of make progress in at times and i also played the second doomsday event and that one even more so than the first i found just impossible to make any progress in and i i've been i've been reassured told that it is theor- physically like theoretically possible to get all the way through the story without spending any real world money but i'm honestly i think i was saying this to you earlier in messages i'm honestly not sure how unless you're literally waking up every two hours and claiming the like <laughs> the kablam like loot boxes and yeah. um yeah most of us have jobs and sleep and things so i think it's um it's obviously built in a way that it's designed to encourage you to spend um the currency but um just to spend real money to purchase the extra like the premium currency in the game but um as a person who would rather not do that it's it does become becomes hard yeah yeah i i was the same i didn't want to spend it any money um so yeah it's kind of you keep opening up little zones so the first one is gallifrey then you've got a sort of unit base on the moon then there's big ben which has got a sort of t-rex curled mm. around its sleep like from deep breath so they're so random aren't they then there's atlantis and that was as far as i got yeah yeah, I, I think I, I know, like, some of the locations from, like, the general game, because it's all basically just, other than the actual cutscenes, basically everything that appears in this event is the same as what's in the other game, just with slightly different numbers or whatever. Um, right. And, yeah, it's... um, Yeah, I mean, in terms of the actual gameplay, it's, you know, it's... F- f- from my perspective, it's, it's about as much as a game as pressing zero plus one on a calculator and just hitting the equals button and watching the number go up. Um, but it's, um, um, and in terms of the storytelling as well, it's so kind of limited in what, um, what it can do. It's honestly, uh, when I was playing it, one of the thoughts I had, um, just today when I was rewatching, um, some of the, like the cutscene bits from it, which is almost like kind of like still comic book style storytelling, I was thinking about the game um, Doctor Who Infinity, which I don't know if you ever came across that, but that was kind of, um, it was like a, it was basically, it was kind of similar kind of like comic book style stories, but with little bits of like audio, you know, um, I think the first one had, like it was different stories. I think the first one had Michelle Gomez and Ingrid Oliver doing bits in it, but it wasn't like a full on audio drama, but it was, you know, a sort of combination of like a visual novel with audio elements. And it was mostly, it was basically connected by these little gem puzzles, which, you know, obviously there was a bit of, it's, it's you know, it's not like a stupendous, amazing game, but it, it connected, it would try to find ways to connect these gem puzzles to like the actual plot of what you would, what characters were doing in the story. And while those connections weren't always great, the gem puzzles on their own were relative, you know, were quite satisfying. They were, interesting puzzles that got harder and were quite involved and could be engaging. And then the stories as well on their own separate from the gameplay were quite, were were good and enjoyable. And um, 
it, I was kind of thinking about that because I was thinking about how good a format that would be for doing like a doomsday, you know, if that game was still around, like it's, it's a game that had, I think like three stories on release and then released two more as like DLC. And if that game had have kind of continued or, and continued to release more DLC, it would have been such a kind of perfect format for this. Mm. Whereas what you kind of got instead with this mobile game is it's like, okay, so the, the story isn't very engaging and the gameplay also isn't, engaging yeah. so what you're left with is 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 not a lot and it did kind of make me think that although Doctor Infinity wasn't perfect as kind of like a format for doing stories in Doctor Who video games where you've already got an existing format but you can just put a new story into it how that would have worked um a lot better but yeah yeah because as you say this it's like a comic book but kind of more static and less yeah. dynamic especially coming after the the titan stuff what you've got is you you cut between uh doom uh who's kind of on on the like facing left and then you cut to or to begin with it's the 13th doctor and k9 which it is quite nice to see the 13th doctor and k9 together yeah. and and as far as i got through the story i thought it was the 13th doctor <laughs> and k9 um so k9 is as hired Doom, or has contacted the lesser order of Oberon to request the help of an assassin, and they get Doom because they're um, on this planet called uh, Calculon, um, <laughs> which is like uh, it's like a Futurama thing, isn't it? I was like, thinking about yeah. that called Calculon. Um, so, but it's spelt like Calc and then Q and then Lon, um, and it's a space station that's full of full of robots who've escaped from like kind of slavery and things like that and the 13th doctor and canine are apparently there saving them from the scarlet scavengers who are sort of space pirates so doom because it, i say it's so static doom has already resolved the situation by sending a, like a freighter full of red spaceship parts for them to fight over into the fleet and then in the course of talking to the doctor the doctor keeps saying i and uh, it keeps saying we and us mm. when she's talking about the robots so she goes oh you're not the doctor and uh, it turns out it's chameleon <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah of all the characters that turned up in in, <laughs> in doomsday it was a really unusual one um but yeah yeah explain how chameleon's there because if chameleon died in planet of fire yeah and like having chameleon and canine as a pairing is just kind of out of nowhere as well. Like the fact, the idea is that they're just, you know, friends off on adventures of her, and obviously not knowing what version of K nine it is either. It's so yeah. like I did, you know, it's pr- probably the fa- the choice that it is chameleon is about the most interesting yeah. <laughs> idea that the story has. And like actually, actually I would say a- a- AI and the Doctor, which is the, the title of that kind of story. That that is probably the story that the title is probably the best thing the story has going for it. I quite like that pun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. And again, it really highlights ha- just how static the like storytelling cutscenes are when you don't even see Chameleon's transformation. You just get um, um, Doom saying, oh, you're transforming now. And then it cuts back and it's, you know, <laughs> the Chameleon there instead of the Doctor. Um yeah, it's I I would I would probably listen to Adventures of K9 and Chameleon. Um 
in a way that I suppose would be a bit like C-3PO and R2-D2. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I suppose it's kind of like the dynamic that um, Mr. Smith and K-9 have in Sarah Jane Adventures, where they're always quite kind of yeah. bitchy to each other. Um, you can sort of imagine K-9 in community, but it's, you know, K-9 in this doesn't really have any sense of kind of voice or his kind of usual humorous characterization. Like they get, you know, lines in where he, you know, refers to the Doctor as master and you know says query before he asks questions I mean, so it's kind of that basic level of writing the set phrases he uses but in terms of actual he doesn't really come across like canine and i mean chameleon hasn't necessarily got that much personality to start off with anyway so yeah. and the, and at the end chameleon goes back to impersonating the 13th doctor as a way of sort of um protecting them because it's like mm. The, which is quite a sort of Moffat era thing, isn't it? Of the Doctor's reputation being like part of their arsenal to, yeah. uh, you know, to kind, of, to kind of ward people off. And then, yeah, that last line from K9, like you say, it's not very K9. It says something like, I'm the Doctor. And uh, K9 goes, Yes, you are. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just not very K9 kind of line, of a bit of a like kind of like at a boy to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's bizarre. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely. The fact that there is a story that ties into this wider doomsday thing is definitely makes you kind of want to see the whole story, whereas generally with Lost in Time, with these limited time events, it's like the stories are so kind of brought like bare bones that you kind of yeah. don't really care if you finish the event and you haven't got that far into the story such as it is, whereas this doomsday thing makes you kind of want to see the rest of it. And obviously there's been some very helpful people on the internet kind of archiving it, which, you know, is... It's good, but yeah, it's um, and and they did they did repeat both of the Doomsday events as well. But obviously, if you only get halfway through at one time, then there's not much more you can do to get further the second time. So it's kind of like yes, it's helpful to have a repeat, but it's just you end up just repeating and getting to the same stage again and going, oh, I guess I won't see the second half of it again. Yeah, I did. I did. Definitely, the f I maybe played them both twice because I had the first time literally no clue what I was doing with the game. Because I think you told me that you needed to get to a certain level to unlock the yeah, limited time event. Like five. Yeah, yeah. I so I kind of bumped my way through to get to um, episode five, and then played the event, and I didn't really know what I was doing at all. So I kind of uh, figured out bits and pieces. Oh, I'll try it again, and I got a little bit further. But as I say probably about halfway when I when I watched and I'll, I'll put a link in this to the show notes where somebody's kindly stitched all the scenes together onto a YouTube video so you can just watch them when I watched that I realized that yeah I was I was only about halfway there <laughs> um, and didn't know any of the kind of revelations about chameleon or anything like that but yeah it's, it definitely feels like one of the bits of doomsday that can quite easily be you know skipped over unless you're very much like hardcore completionist and you want to watch you know and to be fair it is when those cutscenes are added together like in that video you said it's about five minutes or something it's less than that i think like it's you know so it's quite easy yeah. to get through if you particularly want to it's over quite quickly it'll be i suppose quite nice if the official doctor who youtube channel put it out like that given yeah. that one limited opportunity to play it and yeah for completists who who do want to see it Man, maybe they'll do that at the end yeah. or something. Because you like can that. even just but release it as images. Like it doesn't even have to be a video edited like that. You can literally just have it as like a digital comic that you can flick through. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe just download or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that'd be useful. Maybe they'll do that at the end because I think the final chapter is a free short story by James Goss again, isn't it? That's yeah. going to be on the website as the, as that first chapter was. Because I quite like the animation style. Like K and I and he's pretty cute and uh, yeah, I, I thought <laughs> Doom was really well. Like Doom's character model within the game, like obviously it's very static as we've we've said, but like it's it's quite a nice image of Doom. And I don't think all of the character models that are in the Lost in Time game for like all the companions and stuff are of the same quality. But that Doom mm. one, I guess maybe because of that, but you know, it's one going to be one of the few visual references we have where they've put. They see it feels like they've put more effort into that and. Like the costume is very accurate to what we've seen in the photographs and the comics as well. So I did like that attention to detail. It's a nice little cartoon image of Doom. Yeah, it's quite cool. Like there's a lot of consistency, like say across all of the the, the DWM comic, the Titan comic, and mm. this of what a gun looks like, a costume. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. I mean, her, her her gun is it is it River Song's gun from series? five and six or is it slightly different i wasn't sure i i hadn't noticed that but from memory it does look like it doesn't yeah i think it's the one that she uses i think probably most notably in like the end of series five pandoric opens and big bang like she in the big bang she uses it to shoot a stone dalek and i think also in the start of series six in day of the moon i think it's the one that she uses with the silence as well that's why i'm pretty sure it's that prop I suppose she's from that kind of era as well. Yeah, isn't she? It, it definitely like fits, you know, especially given we've had you know Doom visiting Stork, Storm Cage and there's vortex manipulators and stuff. It, it's like it's you know it's it's a nice you know shorthand and obviously you know it saves someone a bit of of work if they can use that already existing design. But like it's it definitely makes sense in the continuity as a connection, even if they don't draw attention to it in that way. So. That's another five hours of Doomsday. Uh, she's got 14 hours left to find the Doctor. Um, which is the nature of it is she's only going to find the Doctor in the 24th hour because <laughs> uh, all the different licensees need to kind of bite at the cherry, don't they? So uh, <laughs> uh, be uh, be interesting to see where it goes next. So, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about the book um, towards the end of October. So, uh, and... Uh, Probably the second mobile game as well, because that'll be another nice block of five hours. So, uh, so, so tune in then. Yeah, I'll definitely have a, a listen to that when you're talking about the book. It'd be interesting to hear thoughts about that. Brilliant! Thank you very much. It's, uh, <laughs> it's good to know we'll have at least one listener. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to let listeners know where else you can find you online. Yeah, so um, my main social media is still uh, Twitter. Just about it's at b mitchell underscore uh twitter spelled t-w-i-t-r and um that's quite useful because um, my pin tweet is my link to um blog post which basically has links to everywhere else you can find me online you know different podcast appearances and reviews i've written including you can also find if you go to we are cool and just type my name into the search bar you can find my reviews i've done for them and um yeah, I will. I've also just got um, Blue Sky. Um, thank you for codes, Mark. Um, and that is um, just Br- Bryn Mitchell. Um, and so, yeah, I've not started using that really yet, but it's it's there. And if people want to follow it, I can assure you that at some point it will be used. Um, 
and yeah that's what i'll plug for where to find me thank you very much i'm on twitter uh, still as at quark mcmalice and the podcast is on there as at trap one underscore and basically it's also as trap one on instagram blue sky threads mastodon uh, <laughs> everywhere else as well so i hedging our bets a little bit yeah if, uh, if twitter does eventually collapse uh so yeah you can, uh, you can check us out on any of those in the meantime you can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts if you've enjoyed this episode please consider leaving us a nice review or a star rating wherever you get your podcasts which will help other doctor who fans find the podcast and join us next time when a new panel will be discussing something else from the world of doctor who thanks for listening goodbye goodbye <laughs>